I greatly appreciate uh, being able to, uh, with the opportunities I've had to preach here this summer, and uh, to meet you and to begin to get to know you, and I feel especially um, uh, humbled and honored to be here again this morning. For a church to be in a time of transition, in a time when they're uh, searching for a new pastor, uh, is a transitional time for a church. And right now, our country is in that transitional time as the country decides who will be the next president and other, many other elected officials, not just the presidential race uh, in November. A president, of course, is a very different type of leader or a congressman than a pastor. And in the passage that I want to look at this morning in Numbers chapter 27, we also see two other very different types of leaders. But a transition in leadership nonetheless from Moses to Joshua. And in this transition and transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua in Numbers chapter 27 verses 12 through 23, we can learn principles to help us better understand how such a transition should take place as we examine four circumstances in the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for everyone who is here this morning. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to, for me to, to preach your word. And I pray that it would be your word that I would speak clearly and um, project it well this morning. I pray that we would, I would speak only the words that you want me to speak and uh, make them clear. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, everyone here, and encourage us to look to you and to follow your word and be encouraged from your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first circumstance in this transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua in the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for everyone who is here this morning. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to, for me to, to preach your word. And I pray that it would be your word that I would speak clearly and um, project it well this morning. I pray that we would, I would speak only the words that you want me to speak and uh, make them clear. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, everyone here, and encourage us to look to you and to follow your word and be encouraged from your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first circumstance in this transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua is that first we have an old leader passing from the scene. That's Moses. Look at verse 12 in Numbers 27 this morning. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into the Mount Abarim, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me at the water 
before their eyes. That is the water of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So God is telling Moses here, he's letting him know in advance that shortly there's going to be a transition. Moses, Moses' time as the leader of Israel is coming to an end. His time on earth is coming to an end. He is going to be gathered to his people, which is a good way to say it, that he is going to be with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and the patriarchs, the others before, they have gone before him. Aaron, his brother, who has already passed on from this life at this time in Numbers chapter 27. Uh, the details of Moses' death will come later, and we'll look at those later in, in Deuteronomy. And there will be some more instructions, some more responsibilities that Moses will have before he passes on. But God now is preparing Moses for the end of his earthly ministry. The old leader is about to pass from the scene. Now, as God's leader of Israel, Moses had been a faithful servant. He had been a very meek and humble leader. He had been faithful through murmuring and disputing against his leadership from the children of Israel. He had been an intercessor, a mediator for the children of Israel. At one point in the wilderness, God was ready to just wipe the 12 tribes off, to kill them all, and just preserve a nation from Moses and his family alone. And Moses and Aaron got on their knees and, and begged for mercy for the people, and God granted that mercy. Moses yet although being a great leader, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, as we'll see at his, at his death and how Deuteronomy speaks of him at his death. Despite being one of those greatest leaders in the Bible, Moses was not perfect. And Moses was still held to a high level of accountability to God because of his leadership. Leaders are held to a greater accountability in, in the New Testament, we have the warning to be not many masters, knowing that masters receive the greater condemnation from God. They're held accountable. And Moses had made a mistake. He had sinned against God. Uh, in the wilderness of Zin, this is mentioned in, in verse 14. And for this reason, God says, Moses is not going to be the one to actually lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But because of his faithfulness to God... And the role he has played as Israel's leader for these past 40 years in the wilderness, God is going to reward Moses by allowing him to see the land from the mountains. But he will not bring the children of Israel into the land. D.L. Moody says that Moses, he represents the law. Joshua represents Jesus. The law prepares the way. It convicts our hearts to know that we need, that we have broken the law and we need forgiveness. We need a Savior. And then Jesus is that Savior who makes the way for us to enter the promised land of heaven. And here you have a, a picture of that with Joshua is going to be the one to lead the way into the promised land. So Moses is coming to the end of his time on earth. Um, D.L. Moody also has a comment about verse 13. He says, old age is a sunset and a sunrise in one. We cannot climb the hills as in youth, but we can mount up as on eagle's wings if we have found in Christ the secret of eternal life. 
So death is not the end for Moses. In fact, he'll be seen again at the transfiguration of Christ in the New Testament, along with Elijah. And he is living eternally today with God in heaven. So the, the old leader is going to pass from the scene. God lets Moses know that. That's our first circumstance in this transition of leadership here in Numbers chapter 27 from Moses to Joshua. And then in verse says 17 through, uh, 15 through 17, we see the second circumstance in this passage of a transition of leadership. We see that there is a need for a new leader. There's a need for a new leader. Look at verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go out, go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. This last phrase that Moses uses, it is uh, sheep without a shepherd, is a phrase that we see also in the New Testament. Jesus uses it to describe the multitudes. And Moses is essentially acting the way that Jesus tells us to in asking for leaders and asking for labors for the harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, we find this recorded in verses 35 through 38 of Matthew 9, where it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. So you see that phrase that we saw, that we see in Numbers chapter 27 and verse 17. You see it here used by Matthew to describe the multitudes. And Jesus' response to that in the following verse in Matthew 9 is verse 37, And then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And Moses is essentially doing that here in Numbers chapter 27. He's praying to God. He's asking God to provide a leader for the nation of Israel, someone to replace him. Now, he won't be the same type of leader that Moses was. Moses spoke directly to God. Joshua will not. We'll see that in the following verses. But he will lead the children of Israel into the promised land instead of Moses. Notice how Moses addresses God in verse 15 and 16. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. The spirits of of all flesh. That's a phrase that Moses has used before to address God. Back in Numbers 16, verse 22, Moses said, let's see, Numbers 16, 22, and they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And he's speaking there of the rebellion of Korah. 
who rebelled against Moses' authority. And because of that, God was judging, God was punishing Israel. And Moses, as I mentioned before, he does it again here in this circumstance where he acts as an intercessor, as a mediator between the people and God and asks God to have mercy on the people. And he addresses God as God of the spirits of all flesh. In other words, God is the origin of life. From him, every person that exists gets their existence. So, so in number 16, Moses is asking for mercy. That you know, You're not the God of just one person. You're the God of everyone. So please have mercy on the other people and don't punish all of them for the one person's sake. And then here in Numbers chapter 27, he's, he may be referencing the fact, don't punish the children of Israel. Don't let them be a sheep without a shepherd because of what I did at, in the wilderness of Zin, where Moses and Aaron had rebelled against God and not followed um, God's instructions. In the wilderness of Zin, back in, as mentioned in verse 14, God had been had instructed Moses to speak to the rock. At a previous occasion, when the, when the children of Israel had no water and needed water, God told Moses to strike the rock with his staff. And he did so, and water came out of the rock. And there's a picture there. And God takes pictures that he presents to us in the Bible very clearly and does not want those pictures destroyed. And that's going to happen in the second instance. Because... That picture that we have there back in Exodus 17, when Moses struck the rock one time, water came out. Jesus is the water of life. He was stricken for us. He was smitten for us, for our iniquities. And through Jesus, we have eternal life. He died once for all, for all sins. He he does not have to be crucified again for future sins. His death covers everyone all sins, future, present, and past, for all who believe. And then in the second instance, in Numbers chapter 20, God tells Moses and Aaron to speak to the rock. But instead, Moses is angry and he rebukes, he loses his temper and rebukes the Israelites in that instance, and instead of obeying God and speaking to the rock and trusting that God will bring water from the rock just by speaking it, he's already proven that God can bring forth water from the rock by striking it with his staff. He's proven that now God is taking him to another level in his faith and asks him to speak to the rock, but instead of going to that next level and moving and not wrecking the picture that God is presenting here, He disobeys. He does not follow in faith and obedience God's command and rebels against it. And instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes it. And he strikes it twice. And water does come from the rock. And the people have water to survive. But the picture is wrecked because Jesus is only crucified once, not twice. And Moses disobeyed. He rebelled against God's plain command. And and so he does not uh, reveal God the way that God wanted to be revealed. His power just in speaking to the rock could bring forth water. 
and that is that that picture and that miracle is changed and wrecked by Moses there in the wilderness of Zin at the water of Meribah. So God held Moses accountable for that mistake. And so here in, in the second circumstance where Moses is asking for a leader, a leader is needed, set a man over the congregation. Spirits of all flesh, perhaps Moses in, in addressing God the same way that he did back in number 16, is making a reference to don't punish the people because of my sin. Set a new leader for them. Notice in verse 17, part of the reason a new leader is needed is that when a group of people does not have a leader, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Without Sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He gives that testimony in John chapter 10, that he is the good shepherd. And Joshua, you know, the name Jesus and Joshua, Jesus is actually the Greek version of that Hebrew word Joshua. And like Joshua is going to lead the way into the promised land, Jesus is the one who makes the way for us to enter the promised land of heaven one day. We are all like sheep who have gone astray and we need a shepherd. We need all need Jesus to lead us to heaven. And he has provided that way through faith in his finished work on the cross. And here in the Old Testament, in this transition of leadership, a leader is needed to bring the people into the land. What would have been the situation if no leader was ready to bring the children of Israel across the river? How would have things gone at Jericho? They needed someone to lead them. That would be Joshua. And then to lead them in conquering the land and fighting the battles and conquering the people and dividing up the land. They needed someone to lead them. And that leader would be Joshua. So they needed a leader. A leader is needed as our second circumstance in this passage. And then our third circumstance is God provides a leader, a new leader. And that new leader is Joshua. Look at verse 18. Numbers chapter 27. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Joshua, the new leader, is full of wisdom. He's full of the Spirit, the Spirit. And in leadership, following the Holy Spirit is essential. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, God used the Holy Spirit and part of the Holy Spirit differently than he does in the New Testament. Today, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we surrender ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are great... uh, Not only indwelt, not only does the Holy Spirit live in us, but he fills us and empowers us to do God's will. In the Old Testament, not all of the children of Israel, not all believers were were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but rather God would give his Holy Spirit, and sometimes for a period of time, and then that period of time would come to an end, for a specific purpose of leadership, or a purpose, a work, 
a message that God wanted to provide in that circumstance. For example, King Saul had the Holy Spirit come upon him, and he prophesied, and he led the people into battle. And then later, when King Saul disobeyed God, the Holy Spirit left him, and he became very depressed, and David was brought in to play the harp for him. And here it mentions that Joshua, take thee Joshua, the son of Nana, none, a man in whom is the Spirit. And this Spirit also may refer to Joshua's wisdom. It mentions that in Deuteronomy uh, 34, verse 9. Deuteronomy 34, verse 9 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the Spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua had the spirit of wisdom. Notice that the old leader, Moses, has a part to play in passing his leadership to Joshua. Look in the following verses. To the instructions that God gives to Moses in ordaining Joshua and setting up Joshua as the successor to Moses. Verse 18 again, The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Right, forgive this imperfect analogy, but I, I watched this happen, this essential process play out where one leader attempted to impart some of their honor to a, to a future leader, perhaps. This week at the Democratic National Convention on Wednesday night, President Obama gave a speech and essentially presented you know, his legacy and and said, you know, the country's better off because of his leadership, and now vote for Hillary. And then at the end of the speech, he hugs Hillary, and he's in, what he's trying to do is he's trying to impart some of his honor and trying to pass the baton, pass the torch on to Hillary as the next leader. And of course, some of us can hardly disagree with the substance of the president's speech or, or, or whether he's a, he's a great leader and the country is moving in a better direction because of him and whether Hillary is the one we want to succeed. But, but, that is a picture of what is happening here with Moses and Joshua. Uh, God tells Moses, the current leader of Israel, to put some of his, his honor on Joshua. He takes him before the congregation and in the presence of the congregation of Israel, sets Joshua before them. And he has Eleazar the priest before the congregation as well to and they give him a charge. They give Joshua a charge in the sight of the congregation. This is essentially an ordination here of Joshua. They are laying their hands on him. Uh, when I was ordained to the gospel ministry, the deacons and the ordination council in front of the church at, at that service, that Sunday evening, laid their hands on me. The, the pastor presented a charge to me. It was for all the congregation, but directed at me. And what were telling me to be faithful to the gospel ministry and ordaining me, setting me forth to go into the gospel ministry. And this is happening here for Joshua. And this often is, takes, takes places when missionaries are ordained, when missionaries are sent out from a church. 
The deacons will often put their hands and lay their hands. And this is something that happens in the Old Testament for sacrifices as well. There's a laying on in the hands of the priest on the sacrifice. And the purpose of that laying on the hands, it represents a transfer that's taking place. In this case, it's a transfer of leadership from a of leadership and authority from Moses to Joshua. And in the case of the sacrifice, there was a transfer on behalf of the person offering the sacrifice of that person's sin onto the animal being sacrificed. So that person's sin, by laying on the hands, is a picture of the person's sins are being laid upon that animal and that animal is being sacrificed to God. And this is what happened at the cross for us. All our sins were laid upon Jesus on the cross, so much so that God the Father had to turn his back and not look on Jesus. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the sins of the whole world on that moment are being placed on him. They're being transferred to Jesus. He's, he bore our sins on the cross. And so that, that's an example, another picture of a transfer and what the laying on of hands pictures here. A transfer. A transfer of authority from Moses to Joshua. And they're giving that picture to the congregation so that they would be obedient to him. Now, of course... When President Obama did that for Hillary, he wasn't telling the people to be obedient to her, not yet, but telling them to vote for her. And, of course, people, a church congregation is not to be obedient, per se, like they are to, like the children of Israel are to Joshua or to Moses, to a pastor. Rather, they're to be obedient to God's word, which the pastor is supposed to present and follow God's word and search God's word like the Berean believers did to see if the things that the pastor preaches are true and to then to do those things if they are from God's word. To change lives and to fulfill the great commission and bringing the gospel to all the world and teaching disciples everything that Jesus taught us. Here you see Eliezer in verse 21, the priest, is also a part of the service of the ordination of Joshua. And when a president of the United States is sworn into office, um, there's not so much a laying on of hands. He'll lay his hand on the Bible and take the oath of office, and the U.S. Supreme Court justice will give him the oath of office. Here you have the priest playing a role in this ordination, in this installation of Joshua as the leader, as the new leader. And he's not taking all the same authority of Moses. Moses is still the leader. He's kind of, Joshua, at this moment, becomes kind of the vice, the second in command, the lieutenant leader, until Moses passes off the scene entirely. And then Joshua will take his role of leading the children of Israel politically. But he will not be the same type of leader, as we'll see in, in, the, in the following verse. It says, and thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, in verse 20, some of thy honor, so not all of it, some of thy honor upon him, that all the congregation of children of Israel might be obedient. In verse 21, and he shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. Unlike Moses, who could go to God directly and speak to God directly, Joshua had to go through the high priest. He had to seek God's counsel through Eliezer. He's not, he, in that way, he's inferior 
to Moses in that sense. He's not as personal with God. He has to go through the high priest. And from that time forward, this would be the case. Later on, we see this, and we'll see this tonight as I continue uh, tonight in 1 Samuel, with the call of Samuel to ministry. Samuel is a transition from the priest being that person that God uses for the political leader to seek counsel from God to the prophet of God, starting with Samuel, who, who really plays a transitional role as, as a, in the priesthood of offering sacrifices and also in the role of a prophet receiving the word from God. And then from that point forward, you see prophets speaking to kings, Nathan speaking to David, Isaiah speaking to Hezekiah, and many other prophets, Jeremiah, Micah, so, so many other prophets who come and deliver God's word to the king or seek counsel from God for the king. If the, if the king wants to know what the direction should be for the nation, he asks the prophet who asks God, rather than a direct conversation with God that Moses was able to have. And today, through Jesus, Jesus is now our only mediator. Jesus is our high priest. And he's the only man between us and God. And he's God and man, which makes him the perfect and best mediator we could have because he is fully man and fully God. And so he is the one that we have access to God through today. And today we do not have to go through a priest. We do not have to go through the pastor to pray and to get counsel from God. We can go directly to God through prayer. And it's a great privilege that we all have and should use every day. Notice that the new leader is given a charge in verse um, in verse 21, uh, excuse me, in verse 19, it mentions giving a charge. Verse 19, give him a charge in their sight. Uh, when a class graduates from high school or from college, there's often a pastor or a special, important, motivational speaker that will come in and give a charge to that graduating class, essentially telling them, Go forth into the world and use the education that you have received now to do good. And so Josh was given a charge. When I got married at my wedding, the pastor gave me a charge to be a good husband. So Joshua is given that charge. He's given that speech from Moses. God's counsel is needed for the new leader. God's counsel is needed. We see that in verse 21 that we have just discussed, that Joshua will have to seek counsel to be a good leader from God through the high priest. He fails to do this in one instance in which the Gibeonites come disguised as a people from far away, that they really live right there in Canaan. They're supposed to be conquered, but they deceive Joshua because he doesn't go and ask counsel. And he learns, hopefully, and, and does seek counsel in, in other situations for God's direction in conquering the land and his leadership of the children of Israel. He has to seek God's counsel. So the third circumstance that we see here in this passage, first, we had the circumstance that the old leader, Moses, is passing off the scene. Second, we have the need for a new leader. Third, we have the new leader is provided by God. And fourth, the fourth circumstance that we see in this passage in verse 22 and 23 is that God's will is done. Joshua is ordained as the new leader of the Israelites. Now imagine 
at this point, if the people, if Moses and if the people had rejected Joshua as the, as the leader in this circumstance, this had happened essentially before. Joshua had been rejected in the past. Forty years earlier, 12 spies were sent by Moses into the land of Canaan. Ten of them came back with an evil report and said, there's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the cities have walls and the people are very strong. They're too strong for us. We can't take the land. We can't enter the land. And they came back with that evil report and the children of Israel listened to that evil report. Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report about the good fruits of the land. And yes, the people are strong in the land of Canaan, but God will empower us. God will enable us to go forward and conquer the land that he has promised to us. But at that point, 40 years earlier, the children of Israel rejected Joshua and his message. And because of that, everyone except Joshua and Caleb, all the men of Israel above age 20 died wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And now, this would not be the case. A new generation is risen up. This generation that was 20 years and, and younger, 40 years previous. And after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and watching the, the previous generation pass off the scene by the judgment of God, they are now ready to follow the new leader. Moses, as the old leader, obeys God Following the instructions, we see in verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So Moses follows the instructions that God gave and ordains Joshua as the leader. Moses here is passing the torch. He's passing the baton of leadership to Joshua, following the instructions that God has given and uh, providing this new leader. God has provided a new leader and the people are now going to follow him. This year, we're going to see the Olympic torch be passed around the world and then finally end at the Olympics location in Brazil. And each runner in that process, is going to carry the torch for a little distance and pass it on to another person. And then in the Olympic competition itself, there'll be uh, several events where there are relay races where a baton is passed from one runner to the next. And it's not just important for each individual runner to run their their race well, like Moses had executed his leadership faithfully and meekly and humbly, with that, with that exception, perhaps, with that exception definitely at the, at the, in the wilderness of Zin, but overall he had been a good and great leader. But it's not just about ru- doing our part, fulfilling our responsibility. A runner in the race, it's not just in a relay race, it's not just about the performance that he has running around the track. It's about the passing of the baton in that relay race. And if the baton is dropped or handed off awkwardly, the race is lost. Uh, in the Iwana Olympics, when I was growing up, uh, fourth grade through, third grade through sixth grade, I participated a little bit in high school and junior high as well in that, but the, my dad, for a couple of years at least, was the coach for Olympic team of third grade through sixth grade boys, and there were relay races. 
and he taught us on that Iwana circle that you have back in the gym over here on, on campus here at the school. There's the Iwana circle and there's a certain zone that you have to pass a baton in a relay race. And you can't start before a certain point, you can't end before a certain point. And winning that race, especially because on the Iwana circle, the circle is so small, all depends on the passing of the baton in that race. It's hard to make up any time lost there in the passing baton. So my dad taught us that you start at a certain point when the runner behind you reaches a certain point, you see him approaching at a certain point in the circle, you begin to run forward and you don't look back to the runner. You put your right hand back and you wait for him to place the baton in your hand, you grasp it, switch it to the other hand, run forward, and you will go all the way around the circle and pass it to the next runner placing it in their hand in such a way that if you do it smoothly enough and you're, you start to get up speed before the baton is handed and you get the baton smoothly, it can help you win the race. and be, It's very critical to the winning of that race. And here we see Moses passing the baton to Joshua successfully. Each of us has a role. Every generation of believers needs to pass on our faith in the teachings of Jesus to the next generation for the ministry of, of this church to continue. We must continue to pass the truths of God's word to the next generation and reach souls for Christ and disciple them for the glory of God and obedience to God's word. We must pass the baton. 2 Timothy 2.2 gives this command. Uh, Paul gives this command to Timothy, a young pastor, who he had been a spiritual mentor and father to. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says to Timothy, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul is telling Timothy he has a role, not just to be a good pastor himself, but to train up others to come after him and to go out into the world and in other places as well and teach others also. We're not just responsible for our lives and the time we are here on life, but how we influence other people and especially the generation, the, the young people that come after us. And what, what is our testimony and faith going to how is that legacy going to live on after we pass from the scene as Moses is passing from the scene in Numbers chapter 27? And his legacy is going to be continued on through Joshua and through Eliezer. Joshua is the new leader. He is ordained. God's will is done. We see it fulfilled in Deuteronomy chapter 34 when Moses dies as well as in Joshua chapter 1, which is the next chapter after Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34 comes right at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And here in Deuteronomy 34, we have a great epitaph to the life of Moses and also the passing of the torch, the passing of the mantle of leadership from Moses to Joshua. In verse 5, we see... So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, that is, God buried Moses, and no one knows where Moses was buried, 
in the valley of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs of and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and in all the mighty, and in all that mighty hand, and in all that great terror which Moses showed in the sight of Israel. Notice the great honor which this passage gives to Moses. But you know, Moses had children, and Moses. He was, he's, he's mentioned in Numbers 12, verse 3, as being the meekest man on the face of the earth. And Moses did not allow personal ambition to come between him and God or between him and the leadership of Israel. He did not ask God to make his children his successors. He did not resist or argue with God in making Joshua his successor. Joshua had been an associate. He had proven himself in battle previously in the, um, during the, the wandering in the wilderness. And, of course, being faithful, a faithful, one of the two faithful spies along with Caleb. But Moses, he follows God's will. He does God's will and accepts the fact that his children are merely going to be a different tribe from Moses entirely, a different tribe. In Israel, it's a different family. But Moses, that does not matter to him. He is going to do, uh, he's going to deny himself and his personal, any personal legacy for his family or power and do what God has told him in passing the baton to Joshua. And so we see that in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see that the transfer of leadership is completed successfully. Joshua 1, verses 1-3 through says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. So the promise was given to Moses of the promised land. And now it is acted upon, it's executed, it's fulfilled in Joshua's leading the people into the promised land in the book of Joshua. And the leadership transfer is complete. And at this time in our history, we need to be praying like Moses did at the beginning of this passage here in Numbers chapter 27, that God will provide good leadership in these upcoming elections for our nation. We need to be in prayer and do all we can. 
to be responsible and good citizens of this country and ask for good leadership at every level of elected office. And we, you know, here in this country, we're a constitutional republic. God does not appoint the leaders directly, but people have a responsibility in that, even in this church. You know, you, you'll have a role to play in, in choosing the next pastor. And uh, I don't intend at all by this sermon to say, I am Joshua, that is not, not, not that, but rather there is the principle of passing the baton to the next generation and the principle of a transfer of leadership and how that should take place and how it does take place here in Numbers chapter 27 and also seen at the end of Deuteronomy. And then also in our personal lives. Each one of us are are leaders in some way. Each one of us should be leading people to Christ by our testimony, by our life, by our actions, attitudes, words trying to lead people, point people to Christ as Christians. The word Christian means little Christ. We are representatives of Jesus. That when people see us, they should be able to be led, be pointed to Christ. And many of us, uh, our fathers, our, grand, our parent, mothers, our grandparents, mentors of some type, teachers, and we all have that leadership responsibility in leading those who follow us, leading those who come behind us, and even if not in one of those exact roles, every older person the Bible gives responsibilities to pass the things that God has taught us in our lives and the responsibility that we have learned and, ha- and executed in our lives to the next generation of people that come behind us. If every person in this nation lived their life exactly as we do, what would the nation be like? Hopefully it would be much better than it is today. You know, the decline in this nation that we've seen in the culture, in the direction of this country, and spiritually especially I'm speaking of, you could add politically, but spiritually especially, in the last 60 years or so, there's been tremendous change. And much of that has to do with the generations coming up not being as well trained and, 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 and disciplined and raised, having the baton passed from the previous generation of our faith to the next generation. And so, again, we have responsibility not just for how we live our lives, but how we influence others and how we pass our life of responsibility, our faith, our convictions, our, our testimony onto the next generation, how we train them and, and, and what the church and what faith in, on the earth is like when we pass from this earth one day, should, God, should the Lord tarry, should the rapture not come yet. And as, as we look toward the rapture, we're all looking forward to that event. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the church is not a defensive institution. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's a t- the gates of hell don't move and attack. They're being attacked by the church. And so the church is not supposed to just circle the wagons and provide a place of fortress and refuge, refuge and be defensive alone against the attacks of the devil and just wait for the rapture to, to come. But rather, we need to be aggressively seeking, as we mentioned last week, with the 
the shepherd who leaves the ninety and nine and seeks the one who is lost. And that is our responsibility to pass our faith, to pass the baton from this generation to the next. As, as mentioned in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same impart thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And I hope to be able to be someone who can be faithful and also pass on to others who will be able to teach others also. And each of us should have that goal in our personal life, in our role in the church, in our role in our nation, in our role in our communities, with our children, with our grandchildren, with those that we come in contact with that we have influence over. So in Numbers chapter 27, verses 12 through 23, we found four circumstances in a transfer of leadership that we can learn the principles of how such a transfer should take place. First, we saw the passing of an old leader from the scene, an old faithful leader, Moses. Then we saw that there is a need, with the passing of the old leader from the scene, there is a need for a new leader. Third, we see that God provides a new leader, Joshua. And then fourth, we see that that new leader is ordained, he's installed, he's And there is a successful transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Joshua is not the same as Moses. He has has different roles, but he has the baton, the mantle of leadership passed on to him successfully as God willed it in this situation in Numbers chapter 27. And then seen fulfilled at the end of Deuteronomy, beginning of Joshua. Will we, like Moses did, successfully pass the baton of our responsibility, our faith, our role in the church, our role in life, our role in this nation to the next generation, to those who follow, to those we have influence over for God's glory. Let's pray.